So Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them high up a mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for, you to, uh, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So now we're going over to Peter. Peter was there. So to Peter and chapter 1. Verses 16 to 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophet made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as, as to a shining light in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit.
Well, good morning, everyone. I see some familiar faces here. Um, I'm Peter Berry. I'm from the Uniting Church over the park. Um, I've been an elder there for about 50 years. And um, we came to Glenbrook. Uh, my father was in the RAF, and he came to the Lapston base in the early 1950s. I'm the last one still in the area. Six two, I'm one of six. First three born in Perth, including me. My sister, first sister in Brisbane, and the last two in Penrith. That was what happened with RAF families as we moved around. But my father decided he never wanted to move again once he came to Glenbrook. So I've seen many of you. I was a commuter, a train commuter for 41 years, so I saw some of you on the train. Um, we've been involved in inter-church activities like refugee support, Christmas carols, um, uh, Easter Sunday music. We've um, been involved in many things over the years. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here um, despite the circumstances and uh, I thank you for your welcome. So today's reading, readings that you've just heard uh, are about that strange event when that mysterious bright light shone upon Jesus high up on a mountain. And it's known as the transfiguration. Why do we in churches use such big words? We use really big churchy words, don't we? Transfiguration, epiphany, um, ascension, immaculate conception. And that's a mystery to people outside these walls and sometimes it's a mystery to us inside them. Surely we can find better words than some of the uh, churchy words we use. Particularly for this one, uh, to describe what happened that day when the dazzling light shone upon Jesus to signify his unmistakable role in God's plans. Jesus is up high on a mountain when it happens and as you heard Peter, James and John are with him. Of course in ancient times it used to be felt you had to go up high to be closer to God. That was the feeling they had in those times. The higher up you got the closer to God you got. Even today a lot of people think the higher up the blue mountains you live the more spiritual you are. The more artistic you are, the more alternative you are. So where does that leave us on the bottom of the mountains compared to our brothers and sisters at Katoomba and Blackheath? I'm not sure, but um, I don't think we're too worried about it. But there was a belief in those times that climbing to the high peaks brought you closer to the presence of God. One of the highest places I've been is Dharamshala in India where the uh, uh, Dalai Lama has been. Anyone been there? It's really high, isn't it? With the, the peaks of the Himalayas in the background. And he was actually there the day I went too, sitting up on his little throne. Um, but it certainly does have an impact. There's something spiritual about being up high. But we'd say today that God is in every part of life from the breaking 
the sun rises over the breaking surf, to the crimson rosellas darting through the eucalypts, to the dinner table where family and friends gather over a meal, and to the hospital bed where care and comfort are provided to the broken and the anxious. God is there. You don't have to climb a mountain to find God. But this transfiguration event, of course, also happened to Moses in earlier times. And that was one of the readings we could have had today. In Exodus, we read that Moses had this mysterious encounter with God on Mount Sinai when the dazzling light shines on him. And he also has this dramatic encounter with God. And the people know about it when he comes back down and it energises them because it's proof that Moses has had this personal exposure to God. And Moses must be someone special. But the account we heard in Matthew's Gospel of the transfiguration of Jesus puts beyond doubt, though, that while Moses was special, he certainly wasn't as special as Jesus. Now, the tradition is that this event took place on Mount Tabor. Tabor. Has anyone been there? I haven't been there. It's about 10 miles from the Sea of Galilee. But it's only a piffling mountain. It's only 650 metres uh, or 2,000 feet. What's that about Hazelbrook? Um, so a lot of people think it might have been at Mount Hermon, which is a real fair dinkum mountain at 3,000 metres. But how long would it have taken Jesus and the disciples to get there? We don't know. And it doesn't really matter. All we know for definite is that it was Jesus who had that light shone upon him in that lofty setting. And its impact continues to this day in this church and in every church where Christian people gather. And it's interesting to note that in the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they place this transfiguration as one of the really important things in their Christian calendar, equal to the resurrection. We tend to have sort of, yeah, we recognise it, but it's not quite to that level, is it? But generally it's one of the six pillars of Jesus' life with the, which the Christian church recognises. His birth, his baptism, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, plus that transfiguration. One of six really important pillars of the life of Jesus. They're all significant milestones in the life of the Son of God who's meant so much to so many over more than 20 centuries. This story today is compelling because it portrays Jesus as the bridge between heaven and earth. This Jesus performed many miracles. We all know them, we read them in the scriptures all the time. But this situation's unique. The miracle happens to Jesus and he doesn't do it. So it's a miracle that's quite different to all the others we read about. 
he's somehow transformed into this shining, white, glittering being which writers ever since haven't really found the words to accurately describe. It's something amazing and miraculous and indescribable. And somehow even the long dead Moses and Elijah get tied up in the story. And they seem to be there as well. It truly is mysterious. And even dear old Peter is puzzled by it all. And he reacts like we do quite often when there's something we don't comprehend. We do something practical, don't we? We make a cup of tea or we offer a bunch of flowers or we give a slice of cake. Something practical that we can do. He does something practical. He says, let's build three little shelters for them all. Not really particularly um, helpful under the circumstances. He thought these three icons of the faith could have somewhere to shelter and sit and think. He misses the point, as we so often do. And it isn't till later, as you heard in the reading from Peter, that he comprehends the significance of what's just taken or what took place earlier. In the reading from the second book of Peter, you heard, his thoughts have now crystallised. He says, I was a witness to this fabulous event when Jesus was changed somehow. I saw with my own eyes how the light shone on Jesus to signify his undeniable standing with God. As he says, he says, I can tell you that I heard the voice of God saying, this is my own dear son with whom I am pleased. You can't get a much clearer and authoritative message than that, can you, on who Jesus was? And of course, it's not the first time that that message from God comes from, uh, about Jesus. Remember when he's baptised by his cousin John in the River Jordan and a dove said to fly overhead and a voice comes, this is my own dear son with whom I am pleased. We believe the same words. There's no mistaking on who Jesus is. He's not just a compelling preacher, a forceful prophet, a healer of illnesses and infirmities and a deliverer of miracles. He is the very representation of God. He is the visible representation of the invisible God. He makes comprehensible what is incomprehensible. When he's had time to process it all and put it into perspective, that encounter on the mountain, Peter can see what that dazzling light shining on the face and body of Jesus really meant. And his life is changed forever and the Christian movement which follows 
is largely built upon Peter. Jesus told him earlier on that you are going to be the rock upon which I build my church. And that's what happened. You know when you see you go to a stage show or a musical or uh, and the light dims. All the lights dim and the person comes onto the stage and a spotlight goes on them. So they're the only person you see. The focus is on that person only. It's beyond doubt of their importance and their significance in the whole production. As it is when the light shone upon Jesus, he was, is and always will be the central act in that great production called life. That's at Andrews over the road where I come from. Uh, it's been a tradition for many years uh, to do two things when we start our services. First of all, we acknowledge the spiritual connection of the Darug people to the area in which we all live. But the second thing we do is we have a, usually have a, uh, one of our young children, if they get there on time, uh, light a candle and announce confidently to everyone in the church, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And that candle stays on while the service goes on. For the light that shone upon Jesus on that mountaintop so long ago has never dimmed and it is the beacon that guides us all on our journey of life today. I'm sure you've all heard the saying, oh, he's finally seen the light. It's an expression that describes that moment when suddenly something that's been obscure or unclear finally clicks. It all falls into place and makes sense. But the key part of that is the light. It brings into view what we couldn't see before. Two of the pioneer people at our church uh, George and Jess Bunyan grew up in Glenbrook. I interviewed her for the church magazine about 40 years ago and I said, in your life, Mrs Bunyan, what's the greatest thing that's ever... She lived in Glenbrook for 80 or 90 years. What's the greatest thing that's ever happened? Thinking, oh, well, man on the moon, uh, the end of the Depression, the end of the Second World War. And she says, when electricity came to Glenbrook in 1932... That was the greatest thing that had ever happened in her life because suddenly you could see things you couldn't see before. It revolutionised life in Glenbrook. Light brings new things. It brings new understandings. I'm sure all of, many of you have been to Uluru. Who's been to Uluru? Well, there's something spiritual about that place, isn't there? When you see the rising sun or the setting sun on its edges and faces and you see the purples and the reds and the oranges and the yellow 
as the light changes. It's the same big rock, but you're getting a different perspective of it with the light. There's, very, there's so much from these readings we've heard today and there's much to take from it. You can go in all sorts of angles, but perhaps most of all is the thought that the light that shone upon Jesus that mysterious day has never gone out and continues to show all of us the way in the journeys of life. In the days ahead, let's all look for the light to shine on our own faith and bring to us new perspectives, new understandings, new truths and new ways to live out the teachings of Jesus. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.